Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Woo, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Be seated if you can this morning, amen. Hey, wouldn't you give the Lord a praise offering of hand clap today for the praise team? What an awesome group God's put together and their willingness to use their gifts to bring honor and glory to his great name. His name is great. How many of you know that this morning? His name is wonderful, and I love singing about wonderful Jesus uh, because I think about me, and I think about where I've been and and what I've done and how I would have disqualified in every way except for the love that Jesus Christ has for me this morning. Man, I'm so excited about him. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to surprise you this morning and ask you to come to 1 Peter chapter number 3, right? You surprised this morning, anybody? All right, if you're our guest today, we've been walking on a journey through the book of 1 Peter. As the Spirit has led us, we've been taking a journey through a, a book that speaks to what is the Christian life look like in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering, all right? In, in other words, <clears throat> is it different when days are uh, lollipops and gumdrops versus days when it's very, very difficult and hard? And so we're learning about that as we go along the way. If you're our guest, I want, to, I want you to notice on the chairs in front of you, there's a little QR code. Uh, if you would, help us out as we try to minister to you. Take your phone and scan that and give us a little information so we can. That's what the church is here for is to minister to you. So help us out by doing that if you would, okay? <clears throat> Back to First Peter. We've learned that uh, it was written by a man by the name of Peter who is like many of us. Um, he, as you, if you watch his life in the Gospels, uh, he was a very, uh, uh, let's just say, uh, quick to speak and slow to listen. Uh, and uh, I say a lot of us are like that. We just go ahead and say what we're thinking. And he did that a lot, got himself in a lot of trouble that way. And he told Jesus going to go all the way to death with him. He'd never leave Jesus aside, right? Great intentions. And I believe, I believe he really meant that with his heart. You know, you ever have good intentions but can't follow through? And it's the follow-through that we struggle with because there's only one who can really help us follow through, and that's the Spirit of God living in us. And so Peter said, I'm going with you to the end, all the way to the end. I'm going to follow you, even if it costs me my life. Jesus said, no, you ain't. Now, he didn't say that. I'm sure Jesus used proper English. Uh, But he said, in essence, no, you ain't. And uh, he said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Jesus was right, and Peter was wrong. And the beauty of that is that Jesus still loved Peter on the front end, knowing that that betrayal was coming in the future. Now, none of us in this room know that if somebody's going to betray us, they're out, man. If we know they're going to hurt us and, and, and fail us, we have a tendency to put them out if we know ahead of time. Uh, and so Jesus uh, loved him all the way to the end. And now we see this Peter, now after the power of the resurrection, and the spirit living inside of him after his salvation, we find that he's now a man who's no longer chicken little Peter, but bold lion Peter, and he's willing to preach the gospel in front of whoever, anywhere, all the time. And yet here toward the end of his life, the Holy Spirit of God pressed on his heart to write a letter to a group of people, the followers of Jesus, a small group in the context of society. There's a larger group on the outside that's not receiving this letter. They are pagans. It's a word used to refer to those who don't know God. And they're in the Roman Empire. There are people who are uh, heinous, if you will. But remember, there had been a great fire, and everybody lost their stuff. They lost loved ones. It was a terrible thing. Nero had done it, the, the Caesar. And when he did that, he did it so that he could build more, but everybody got angry. Of course they did. 
What he did in his wisdom is that he chose to blame it on the Christians. They were a smaller group. They were peculiar. They were weird. They were different. They didn't fall in line with society and culture. They stood for a kingdom that was higher than here on the earth. I wish somebody would smile and amen right there. And because they did, because they did, they pinned the blame on them, and they suffered not only the consequences of the fire, but they suffered also the consequences of people threatening them and not liking them and rejecting them and persecuting them. And so we could say this morning they were having a difficult go at it, right? Y'all with me? Nod your head. Uh, we all, as I look around this room and see it this full early in the morning, just blesses my heart. Uh, but I know that in this room there's some of us who right now life is pretty easy. Uh, as easy as life can be. Things are going smooth. Things are going according to plan. Um, but there are others of us who just recently things came unraveled. And we're not certain exactly how things are going to work out. We don't know exactly how we're going to make it and how things are going to come to pass. We, we're unsettled about the future. Some of us are right in the middle of the darkest cave and valley that we have ever experienced in our whole life. And here's the thing. Listen, we all came in with a little smile on our face. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I can't look out here and tell you which ones are on the mountaintops and which ones are in the valleys, except some of you shared with me right this week. And so what I know, though, is this, is that it happens every single time we gather with this many people. We're all over the map in the journey of life. So today, we're going to look to encouragement, look to the Word of God to encourage our hearts, whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're down in the valley. Okay? Y'all good with that? All right, First Peter. Remember, the premise of the first chapter was that Jesus Christ is our living hope. Now, that's the, that's the application to our life. If we're going to get purely context... The, the message of the ch first chapter was Jesus Christ was their living hope. Does that make sense? Now we make application. All right. So then from there he talks about how our lives, we have this inheritance coming that Jesus bought for us and that it's reserved in heaven. And then he talks about all the complexities of living out the faith and things they're supposed to abstain from and what relationships look like, what the Christian life looks like when there's difficulty on the outside in the workplace, when there's difficulty on the outside in with, dealing with the government, what there, when there's difficulty on the outside in dealing with marriage. And we talked about uh, those relationships, what they're supposed to look like. And then we're flowing right on into uh, the end of this chapter. Now, if you've missed a message, I encourage you to go back and watch those because we're just going a verse at a time. And any of y'all have as much fun as I am with that? They lock together perfectly, don't they? And uh, we become a people educated and informed by the Word of God, and that's what we want to be, okay? So this morning, we're picking up in verse number 13. And uh, let me ask you before you stand up, or invite you to stand up, how many of you say you got a little foundation about what's going on? Okay, you understand a little bit of context? Okay. All right, so if you will, stand to your feet now in honor of reading God's Word, okay? The very breathed-out Word of the living God, 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, now we just left off on Wednesday night. Uh, in going through verses 8 through 12. Again, if you missed that, go back and listen on Facebook. Or you can go to, I have a podcast. It's uh, True for Today with Terry Fenn. It's just the message put on there. You can put on your AirPods and go about your day on the way to work, what have you. And I encourage you because they build. Verse at a time, they build, all right? Now, today's message will still stand alone. Let's begin in verse number 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now, what he's just said to them is that they're called to be a blessing, they're called to be a blessing in the midst of hardship, to have compassion inside the family of God. They need to have compassion and tenderheartedness for each other. And then he says also in the world, not to return evil for evil, okay? So they're supposed to be influencers, a uh, blessing to both. But then in verses 10 through 12, he talks about this judgment. And if you live this way, you'll be judged. And if you live this way, the eyes and ears of God will be open to you, and he'll be moving and active in your life. So now he adds to that, verse 13, and, and he, or who is he, rather, who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. 
And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and, help me, fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered, how many times? One time for sins. The just, Jesus, for the unjust, me and you, that he might bring us, y'all help me somebody, to God. Being, made, uh, being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. All right, let's pause for just a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me, please? God, I thank you so much for continuing to stir in the hearts of people. Uh, Lord, seeing people here is a testimony of your spirit drawing us, uh, whether it be in our own hearts or somebody else inviting us. So, God, I give you a high praise this morning that you got us all up out of the bed, gave us another day here on earth with purpose. And this many people have chosen to set this day apart to worship you. Now, would you please speak from heaven? And, God, thank you that you've chosen a weak and beggarly vessel uh, Lord, that you might put on display that you really can use anybody you choose to. Uh, you're a mighty God. You take the broken among us, like myself, and use us for your glory. So, Father, as you preach through me, I pray that you also would preach to me. As I want to be a witness of you in the midst of difficulty, I pray that for everybody within the sound of my voice. God, tune our ears into your still, small voice. Help us not to resist your encouragement and conviction. God, would you also captivate our attention? Sit us on the front edge of our seat, and may it be as if our daddy is taking our face in his hands and speaking to us individually. Would you do that with every person here? And I pray it with expectation in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated this morning. Now, our title this morning is a little longer than normal, and it's a little more practical of a, of a, of a title. And I'm just going to say it. You write it or don't write it. It'll be all right. Either way, the title of the message is The Blessing of Suffering. The blessing of suffering. Now, that just sounds altogether opposite, doesn't it? Because we in America relate blessing to money, health, right, uh, health, wealth, and prosperity. We think that's the blessing, uh, that's the only blessing that God gives. But we're learning when we get into the Word of God that this word blessed or blessing is a word that means happy and content. Did you know that you can be happy and content and still go as you're going through cancer? Did you know that you can be happy and content when you've lost somebody uh, in death to somebody that you love very much? Sure you can. And we've learned in the Christian life that blessedness and blessing is a lot greater than money and wealth because both of those can change in the blink of an eye. So this morning, blessing. Keep that in mind. Bless the blessing of suffering, okay? And then to add to that, practical instruction and insight for Christian suffering. We're about to get some insight into it, to understand it, and we're also going to get some instruction as to how we're to live it. That okay with y'all? All right, good. Here we go. Beginning with verse number 13. Here's the main idea. You ready? Write this somewhere in your outline, all right? Somebody asked you, what'd you do yesterday? I went and gathered with the people of God. What'd you learn? I learned that suffering for doing good has great benefit. Suffering for doing good has great benefit. Would you write that? Suffering for what? Doing good has great benefit. Now, uh, you do know that sometimes we suffer even when we do good. And we would also say that sometimes we are even persecuted and made fun of for doing good. Good as determined by God and his word, not good as determined by our peers. Uh, so let me give you a for instance. It's good for us to share the good news of the gospel, but some people will get angry with you about that because they don't want you to tell them there's only one way for them to know God and be right with him, and the way has a name, and his name is Jesus. 
And people will get angry with you and they'll persecute you, but it's still good, all right? And so there is uh, suffering for doing good has great benefit. Now, now, let me ask you, do you also know that sometimes we suffer for doing bad? Uh, and it also has benefit. You understand? Uh, when you do bad and you suffer for it, what does it have a tendency to do? Adjust your behavior, right? Uh, it has a tendency to help you adjust your behavior. So uh, today we're going to focus specifically on uh, the suffering for doing good has great benefit, all right? Now this has about, I don't know, five points I want to make this morning. And so you're going to have to listen quickly, all right? And uh, I hope you take a few notes. I had a, uh, somebody visited from out of state last week, and they said, man, I couldn't believe it. Every third person had a notebook out, and they were writing notes, and and it was so interesting. They were locked into the message. And so thank you for being a people who are concerned about your faith, that you're being informed by the word, taking it in, all right? So number one out of this list of five, all right, suffering for doing good has great benefit. Number one, doing good limits suffering. Now let me explain that to you, all right? Write it out. Let me explain. Doing good limits suffering. As you're writing, let me just talk, all right? Doing good limits suffering. Am I saying this morning, is Peter saying to them that if they'll do good, they'll never suffer? Uh, no, not at all. Matter of fact, remember his audience. Uh, do, now, and by the way, let me define doing good. Doing good means that you have followed the Lord Jesus. You have surrendered your life to Jesus. You've trusted that he died for you and rose again, and you've been born a second time of the Spirit. And so now you're doing good not because you're earning your way into the family, but because you have been granted access into the family. Y'all smile and nod if you're tracking with me, all right? So, so doing good here is not if I do good deeds and I'm getting into the kingdom. No, no. It's because I'm part of the kingdom because I'm part of the kingdom, kingdom, where the king has dominion, when the king Jesus has dominion in my heart, I'm going to do good. You with me? I'm going to do good deeds. I'm going to do good works with my hands and with my life. And so doing good limits suffering. Let's see where he says it, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of, y'all help me, what is good? And so let me just say there's a couple of different uh, ideas here in this particular verse. Someone said that, uh, in our context, not in theirs, but in our context, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, when you do good as an expression of your faith, on the average, you're not going to be harmed. Are you with me? In, in America, on the, on the average, not, not always, but on the average, if you're doing good because of your faith in Jesus, on the average, you're not going to be harmed. But here specifically, he speaks of the fact that uh, as they do good and they're going to suffer harm, who really can harm them? I guess what, what I'm trying to say is that Peter is helping them focus on what does it mean to be harmed, what does it mean to be harmed? And Peter's not saying to them, if you, do, if you follow what is good, if you follow Jesus and therefore he produces good in your life, he's not saying that because of that you're never going to be tortured. He's not saying that if you do that, you're promised that Nero's not going to dip you in wax, set you on a pole above his reading garden, light you on fire. And by the way, he did this. And read books by your burning body light. That's not what he's saying. As a matter of fact, this probably, it's, it's, it can happen. I was thinking how this context applies to uh, the pastor who was, who was just recently killed on the side of the road. And what I didn't bring you here today, and the Word of God is not saying to you today, that, hey, if you follow Jesus, if you go to church, if you spend time in the Word, if you do good, if you give, if you share the gospel, if you make disciples, you're guaranteed to never be murdered or, or shot or in a bad... No, 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 that's not what he's saying at all. But what he's saying is for you have to understand what harm really is and who is it that can harm you and the fact that the worst this world can do to you is take, is, is, is take you home. If you're a child of God, the worst this world can do to you is kill you and send you right on into the presence of the king. 
Think about that. As a matter of fact, can you imagine somebody killed you? They immediately fast-track you into the presence of Jesus Christ, and you'd be healed of every infirmity, every sickness, every struggle. You'd be in a place where there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more sadness. You'd be free of the sinful nature that holds you back now. Can you imagine? Wouldn't it be something if somebody killed you and sent you right on in the presence of Jesus? But you see, we don't look at it that way. Our, we, we, we live for the wrong king. Our kingdom perspective needs a little growing today, right? So that's what he's doing. Doing good limits suffering. Limits it how? What it means is this. In the day of judgment, which the scripture says it's appointed for man to die once, Hebrews 9, 27, and then comes the judgment. When that judgment comes for me and for those of you who've been born again, when we die, we'll face that judgment. And if we've received Jesus as Lord, we go in innocent and, and, and free and into the kingdom of heaven. If not, we are judged guilty and we spend eternity in the lake of fire. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. It's just that cut and dry. And so what he's saying to them is, no matter if you'll follow Jesus, who is good, and you'll, you'll live your life according to his principles and his layout, his, his, uh, the, 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 the platform he's given you and the way in which he lived it, if you'll walk your steps in his steps, and what you'll find out is not that they won't harm you here on earth, but they can never take away from you what Jesus purchased for you on Calvary's mountain. Huh? Hallelujah. Are you kidding me? It means no matter what this world does to me, they cannot steal away from me what Jesus bought with his own blood. So they can't harm me. They can't harm me. Yeah, that ought to make somebody in the room clap your hands. Thank you for that. Yes, ma'am. That ought to make us want to clap and shout and hallelujah because we all face hardship and we let the hardship get us down. And what he's saying, if you'll follow what's good, you don't have to worry about it in the end. In the end. A thousand years from now, you'll not be remembering the suffering of today. So doing good, in essence, in this context is faith in action. It's my faith in Jesus in the action of my everyday life, right? Did you know that faith has action to it? Uh, you can't claim to have faith in Jesus and not have any action of that faith in your everyday life. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Uh, a couple of verses I want to give to you quickly before we move on, all right? First one is Romans 8.31. This is what it says as Paul is waxing eloquently, if you will. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, somebody help me. Who can be against us? What can man do to me and you. Let me move on and give you another. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 6. Listen to this one. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my, I wish somebody say this with me, the Lord is my, he's my helper. I will not fear. Here it is. You ready? Here's the question. What can man do to me? Though these uh, individuals in Peter's day could be dipped in wax and set on fire, ultimately God was going to give them the grace to make it all the way through to the finish line, and then when they died upon death, the first breath of, uh, in, in eternity would be the pristine air of heaven, and there they'd be. Uh, what can man do? One more verse I've got to give you. Now, this is from the mouth of Jesus, Matthew chapter 10, verse number 28. Listen to what it says. And do not fear those who kill the body. Do not fear those who kill the body. Y'all with me? Don't fear them uh, that kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, so we are supposed to fear somebody, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is that? It's God. He's the only one who has the power to pardon you and the only one that has the power to punish you. Now, remember, it hinges upon your rejection or receiving of his full unconditional pardon purchased by the precious blood of his son Jesus. And if you reject it, it's condemnation and punishment. If you receive him, it's forgiveness and full pardon. My goodness, what 
a Savior, this Jesus. Well, in verse 13, he says, who will harm you if you do those good? So I'm going to move on now, if I can, to verse number 14. This is number two in your outline, all right? First was doing good, limit suffering. Do you understand what I mean by that? I hope everybody was paying attention. It's not saying that life will not be hard. It doesn't mean that somebody's not going to kidnap you. It doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer uh, physically and emotionally. And it, it means that uh, nothing can take away your salvation. And one of these days, one of these days, nobody can steal that. One of these days, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord, and all the suffering down here will be forgotten. Hallelujah. Number two. Number two is found in verse 14. Here it is. I want you to write in your notes. Suffering for doing right is blessed. Now, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Anybody here willing to be honest? Y'all just staring at me this morning. I'll just tell you, that sounds crazy to me. Uh, suffering for doing good is blessed. That's not. When you ask somebody in the midst of a terrible suffering situation, you ask them, how are you doing? They usually don't say, oh, I'm blessed. They usually say that when, when, when they're not at the doctor's office and they got a full tank of gas and uh, their insurance is paid up, and things are going well, right? You say, how are you doing? They say, oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Uh, hardly ever do you hear a person that's right in the middle of chemotherapy or right in the middle of, you know, losing a loved one say, I'm blessed. Sometimes you do, but it's, it, let me just say it's rare, okay? So verse number 14 in there, two things I want to mention to you as we look at verse 14 because there's two specific things he's going to mention, okay? First of all, he says, but even if you should suffer, which is now, now, now he brought it from the eternal perspective to the now perspective because you, you still may suffer here, right? He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, in other words, for doing good, you are, y'all help me somebody, blessed, happy, content. Uh, you're the, you're the, uh, you're, here, here's the word. It, it, it's like the English word fortunate. And, and I need, listen to me, I want to tell you this morning, I need God to change my perspective on that. Anybody else be honest enough? Now, I know all of y'all probably feel fortunate when you get to suffer, but I don't always feel that way. Uh, and I've been walking with him for several years, and, and yet I'm still not quite where I need to be. Anybody else would say that, where I need to be when I face things that are hard and difficult? I, you know, I'm sort of like, okay, God, will you let this pass? I, I'd, like to, I'd like to get on the other side of it. And, and yet um, what he says is that uh, suffering for right is blessed. God is, I'm fortunate to get to suffer. I'm fortunate to get to face difficult things. Now, when you begin to think about the context of that, uh, if you would just be honest for a minute and think back over your life, since you've put your hope and trust in Jesus, and you find and think about the most difficult seasons of your life, you'd have to be honest to say you grew the most, you got to know Jesus the, the, the best, and you were so close because desperation does that for us, and difficulty produces desperation. Now, what I've been praying a lot of years for me, and you don't know this, but I've been praying it for you too, that God would produce a desperation in me without having to have a desperate situation. Wouldn't that be great if you and I were just as desperate as we are when things are falling apart, uh, when things are all together? And so desperation produces, uh, I mean, difficulty produces desperation. May you and I desperately seek him. All right? So, verse 14, but even if you should suffer, you're blessed. You're, you're fortunate because God is working. He's doing. He's drawing you to himself. He's revealing to you things about yourself. He's extracting things that don't need to be there. He's adding things to your faith. There's so much good that's happening when you suffer for doing good. Now, remember specifically, he's talking about suffering for doing what? Good, meaning practicing your faith, meaning doing what you're doing because you know it honors God. And you'll suffer for that, okay? So two things I want us to notice right after that. Number one, he says, do not be afraid. Because suffering is beneficial, because suffering has a purpose, because suffering will even happen for righteousness sake, what you and I have to do, first of all, is not be afraid of their threats, okay? So number one, he says, do not be afraid of their threats. And it's hard, isn't it, not to be afraid? 
It's hard. Let, let me just tell you, it's hard because I, I'm just going to give you some uh, generalities from over the years. I've had people come to me and say, now, listen, uh, my boss told me uh, that I can't, I can no longer uh, talk about Jesus out on the, on the, on the floor, you know, on the, there in the plant. And I can't, I can't, I can no longer do that. And if I do, I'll, I'll risk losing my job. So I'm not going to talk about him anymore. And, boy, see how quiet it just got. And, uh, and so we have to, if we're honest, now that's not threatening to dip you in wax and set you on a pole, set you on fire, and then while you're burning and screaming, reading a book, you know, by your burning body light like Nero did to, the, to these people. But this is just a threat of losing our job. And so sometimes you'd have to believe, you'd have to agree with me that sometimes we put more faith in our current situation than we do in the God who gave his only son to save us and bring us into the family. Uh, we have to be mindful that he's a God who's going to take care of his children. He always has, and he always will. And he says, do not be afraid of their threats. No matter what they threaten you with, do not be afraid. Live your faith. That's what he's saying. Keep on living your faith. Don't be afraid of them. What, are they, what can they do to you? Worst they can do is send you home. And if they send you home, you're going to be in the presence of Jesus. If you lose your job, God's got something else for you. And so in this life, we have to learn it's really a faith issue. Don't be afraid of their threats. Let me give you a verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of not even fear of losing our jobs, not even fear of losing our retirement, not even fear of sickness. He's not given us a spirit of fear. But instead, what he has given us is a spirit of power, y'all help me, love and a sound mind. That's the spirit of God, power, love, and a sound mind. So number one, don't be afraid. Number two, do not be, and here's one I think we struggle with more probably than fear, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Listen to what he tells him here in verse number 14. Do not be afraid of their threats, comma, nor be, what's the word that's translated into the English? Troubled. You know what that word literally means? Anxious. Uh, troubled, what it, the, the word troubled is like, a, it's a picture of water that's, that maybe like, you know how sometimes you go out and look at a pond or lake or whatever early in the morning and when there's no wind blowing and it's like glass? And, and troubled waters is when you take and throw a stick out in it, and, or, or that's slightly troubled, right? You, the water at the surface began. But, but a troubled waters is when the wind is blowing and the waves are moving and the waters. Uh, I'm reminded of my friend in the Dominican Republic, Pastor Michael. He will say, when we go to the ocean sometimes, and it's, it's just the wind's blowing, the waves are crashing. He'd say, the sea is angry is what he would tell me. And so I'm reminded that that's troubled. That's how our, our spirit, our mind, our emotions get sometimes. Uh, how many of you can say that you've ever battled with being anxious about a situation, a circumstance, right? Something coming on the horizon, a decision, a diagnosis, uh, something that you're planning. You know, you and I can even get anxious about things that haven't even happened yet. Anybody like me, I can get anxious about things sometimes, and the thing ain't even happened, you know, and never, do, never does happen. I've been anxious about them. And so he's saying that as, as, as a follower of Jesus, we should not be afraid, but also we should not be anxious, all right? So do not be anxious. Let me give you a verse. Can I do that? Great. Here I go. You ready? Got your pen ready? Here it is, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6. Here's what it says. Be anxious for nothing. You mean nothing? Nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but on the contrary, here's how you keep from doing it. In everything by prayer. So everything I feel a little anxiousness, I immediately go to prayer. I go to talking to God about it. I tell him that I'm getting anxious, God, would you help me? My mind is racing, God, would you help me? My heart's beating out of rhythm, God, would you help me? And so there's this by prayer and 
supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So the people of God are not supposed to be marked with anxiousness. Jesus went on to teach about this in Matthew 6. Write these verses down. You can go read them later on. This will be a mid-afternoon snack. You can have it right after lunch and then take a nap. You won't gain one pound from it, all right? Here it is, Matthew 6, 25 to 33. I'm just going to talk about it in in generality. Jesus said, do not worry. That worry is anxiousness. Birds don't sow or reap, but he takes care of them. Lilies don't toil or spin, but he clothes them. And so he puts clothes on in in their beauty. And so Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry. And so today, my prayer is that God would help us understand that there was sometimes suffering for doing right, for living for him, is a place of blessedness. It's where we find fortunate growth and strength. And how do we do that? We're not to be afraid and we're not to be, what's the second thing? Anxious. All right, here we go now. Three more things I'd like to share with you in closing. How can suffering be a blessing? Okay? How can I, in other words, it's one thing for you to tell me, don't be afraid. Uh, you, ever, you ever try that with a kid when they're, when they're scared of the dark? Like if you want to see something funny, you ought to see my Maddie. Grown up, got two little ones watching her to, to, to you know, teach them as mama now. And you watch her. I'll give you, for instance, the other night she was at the house, and she came, I, I came in the room, and she's out of breath. And I'm like, honey, you know, I, we don't have an elliptical machine or a treadmill. What, you know, what, what are you doing? She said, I had to run out to my car. I said, literally, you ran? She said, Daddy, you know it's dark outside. And I said, you mean to tell me that your car parked 50 feet from the door, you, you ran? As, she said, Dad, you, 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 you know I'm scared of the dark. And so I want you to, I want you to think. And when I've told her over the years since she was a little bit thing, just don't be afraid of the dark. You see how that's worked, right? And so just to tell somebody don't be afraid is not enough. So how can you and I, as the, whoever in here has been born again, how can we take don't be afraid and don't be anxious, even though you may suffer for doing right, How can we take that and consider it the place of blessing, the blessedness, all right? So I'm glad that you asked. Now I'm going to answer it, okay? Number three in your notes, write this down. Suffering, now it's a little bit wordy, but I want you to hear it. Suffering proves if our hope is living or dead. That's that's the benefit of it. It It's a proving ground. It's it's a platform. It's 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 an opportunity for me and you to find out What's really in our heart? What's really on our minds? Who we really trust? Who really is Lord of our lives? So uh, let's read together, if you will. Put your eyes with me on verse number 15. But, okay, so he talks about first, uh, if you should say, you you, you may suffer still for being righteous, for walking with Jesus, but in your heart, don't be afraid and don't be troubled. Don't be afraid of their threats. They can't do anything to you and nor be troubled. Now, Now, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, the word sanctify sanctify means to set apart, all right? So, uh, suffering proves if our hope is living or dead. So, if I'm going to face trial and tribulation and difficulty and still have the blessed condition of peace and happiness and joy, even though I may shed a tear... If I'm going to do that, if I'm going to not be afraid when they threaten my job or threaten my life, if I'm going to not be anxious uh, when I'm going in front of a people who don't love Jesus to tell them about Jesus who loves them, if I'm going to find that place in my life, the first most important thing I'll have to do is to set Jesus apart in my life in a category like nobody else. He'll have to be number one. But, but really, let me just say this. He'll have to be number one on a list that has no number two. Does that make sense to you? 
It does not mean that I put him one and family second and church third. No, no, no. He, to set him apart, this word literally set apart, sanctify means to set him in a category all his own. And, and I'm afraid that's probably the greatest stumbling block in my life and your life is that oftentimes we mix him into the other categories of our life. And, and yet, it's interesting to me that, that, that Peter is saying to the people, you set him apart. You set him apart. You say, why is that interesting to you? It's interesting to me that we would even have the ability to set him apart. See, some of us say, well, I can't do that, and I can't do that. And you, you can't. if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God, you're right, you can't. But if you have the Holy Spirit of God, you, in fact, can set Jesus in a different category. Now, he's not in the same category as your wife. He's not in the same category as your husband or your children as much as you love them or your grandchildren. Come on, grandparents in the room. Or great-grandchildren. I hear they get greater as they go. I don't know about that. Um, but but I, wanna, I want you to think about it, that we have these areas that we love people in a category that's different than everybody else. And Jesus, in the life of the believer, is supposed to be in a category altogether his own, high and lifted up above the greatest love you have for anybody down here on the earth. God help me and you to get there. How am I going to not be anxious when I set him above every other thing in my life? What do you mean? Well, I'm facing something anxious. I'm reminded, wait, 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 wait. I'm bought by the blood. I'm indwelt by the Spirit. I'm on a journey headed towards home. What do I have to be afraid of? Let me take two deep breaths, talk to my Father, and go on about my business. Uh, And so that's how we set him apart in our lives. It impacts every area of our life. Think about this. We think about this this opportunity God's giving us, and I hope you enjoyed uh, that that, uh, presentation of the history of, of what God has done here at Hickory Ridge. Anybody, that, that, uh, Gerald did a phenomenal job on that, and I just have to say it was phenomenal. But as I think about that, in order for, I, I sometimes think about how, how that we build these stadiums and we build all these things in, in life and in the world and, and, our, and our homes and things, and then I think about how sometimes it's so hard to build facilities to equip the people of God. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? And say, well, what do you think that issue has to do with? I think it has to do with, Setting Jesus apart in our, in our hearts. Does that, does that make sense to you? I believe if, if, in my, if in my life I set him apart, apart in a whole different category, when I feel like he's doing something and I feel like it's an opportunity for somebody else to know him and to grow in him, then, man, I'm going to be all over it, right? I'm going to be asking him, what do you want me to do? Instead of, like, just pushing that to the side and keeping on with my life. When I set him apart in my life, you know what I'm going to do in my everyday life? I'm going to make disciples, Because he's in a category all his own. I know the last command he gave before he left earth was go and make disciples. I cannot continue to live in disobedience in the sin of silence if I, in fact, have set Jesus apart in my heart. So, Lord, here's my life. You're number one. You're in a category and a list all by yourself. Take my life and lead me and direct me. And all the fear that rises up in me and you that he's going to suck all the fun out of our lives. And what a terrible misunderstanding about the one who was willing to leave heaven and be rejected by the creation, the things that men that he created to be spit upon and mocked and ridiculed and then nailed to a cross. A terrible misunderstanding to think that he would just steal the fun out of your life. All right, so let's just look through this thing again. Suffering proves if our hope is living or dead. In other words, when we suffer, people will find out if Jesus really is Lord or not. If he's set apart in our heart, we respond different, okay? So uh, let me just read a little further along, uh, and, and let me just pick up if I can in verse, the second part of verse 15, and this is number four. This is number four. You guys are listening quick. I believe we're going to get out of here on time. Number four is how we handle suffering 
can create questions that we get to answer. Now, that's kind of wordy, but I want you to write every bit of that down because you're going to need to go back and read this in your time with the Lord. How we handle suffering can create questions, y'all with me, that who gets to answer? We get to answer. Notice I didn't say we have to answer. I said we get to answer. There's a big difference in perspective. We get to answer. All right, let me, where did I find that? Look in verse 15 and on through verse 17. So first part, he says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That's Jesus. He's talking about literally saying sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason, okay? So there's going to, asking involves what? Questions. Asking involves questions. So he says, you be ready to give a reason for the hope, who, if, to every person who asks you, all right, a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, let me ask you a question. How do they know that you have hope on the inside? Well, it's easy. It's how you live on the outside in suffering. It's when things aren't going your way. It's when, it's when things are hard. It's when you're being made fun of for your faith. It's when, it's when everybody else in your grade looks down on you. It's when other businesses seem to be more profitable because they don't run by the same principles that you do. It's when you press on and when things come and undone in your life, you stay close to Jesus. And though you may shed a tear, you hold fast to the blessed hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and what waits for you on the other side. Wow. They're going to ask you some questions if. If the hope is a living hope and they see it in how you take on life. If you don't, they'll put you in a category with all the rest. You're just like me. They're no different than me. And I don't know Jesus. And you say, you know Jesus. And yet I handle suffering the same way you handle suffering. So I'm not going to listen to the gospel you preach. So Lord, help me and you to live the gospel, a living hope in the difficult moments of our life. Because they'll create questions. They'll create questions. I'll never forget one of my favorite conversations in the short 45 years I've been on earth so far was with my best friend growing up named Chet Farnsley. And I, uh, Chet and I did some terrible things together. I'm not going to spend much time there. But in the latter years of our lives, we, grew, we, we separated for a while because, well, Jesus drew me close. And when Jesus draws you close, your life changes. And Chet had not been drawn close, and so as life unfolded, we were separate. Matter of fact, when I would talk to him about Jesus, he'd cut me off. So I had to be real careful about how often or what I said, right? But I constantly tried to plan. Anyhow, we did much prayer together. Well, life would have it. Things happen in his life. And he reaches out to me, and he says, I'm having some struggles here. I'd like to come and meet with you. And he did, and he started coming to church. And he said, when he came to church, a couple of guys met him in the parking lot. And he said, man, they were more friendly to me than the bars we've been in. And he said, they, he said would you believe a grown man hugged me? <laughs> And I said, yeah, I believe that. I believe it. And he came on in. He came for about a year. And as he came for that year, he and they'd come every once in a while. And he's got to get a little more faithful. One day he says, hey, uh, can we grab lunch together? And I'm like, sure, man, let, let's do it. So we go and grab lunch together. And he's, when I go into the Mexican restaurant, I never saw him cry all of our years of growing up together. I spent as many nights at his house as I did at my own. And never, when his grandfather passed, never, best friend, never, never saw him cry. And when I came into the Mexican restaurant, he was, he was already crying. And I thought, man something is out of whack. And so as I walk up to the table, uh, I'm standing there, and as I'm standing there, I'm not sat down yet. I say hey to him. As I say hey to him, he says, hey, I need, to, I need to talk straight to you for a minute. He said, I've been watching you for 10 years. And I'm, I'm thinking, should I sit down? Should I stay? <laughs> what should I do? And he's very serious, very intense, tears coming down his cheeks. He says, I've been watching you for 10 years. And he said, I told everybody in the first year playing a game. 
because I know you better than anybody knows you. And he said, you and I have said things and done things. And he said, I've been watching you. And he said, in these 10 years, I have finally determined that what you have in the things that you've been through, there's no way he can't be real. So I want to know what you have, and I want to know how I can have it. You see, and listen, not not anything to do with me, but to do with Jesus living in you and through you. It causes people to ask questions. You don't know this, but how you're handling your difficulty right now, there are people in your family, there are people in your workplace, maybe your grandchild, they're watching you, maybe your child, maybe your neighbor, and they're watching you. And you don't know they're watching you, and they're listening, and they're hanging on every word, and they're leaning in. And what you don't know is they have a little seed of hope in there, and their hope is that what you claim is real, but they're watching. They're not convinced yet. There's a part of them that says, I really do hope there's something more than this world, this life, this rat race, and they're watching you in the difficult days to see if it's true. And someday they're going to ask you a question. They're going to ask you a question. And what does Peter tell the people to do in the midst of their struggle? Now, listen, remember the context is they've lost everything in the fire. I want to draw you back. They've lost loved ones. They're being persecuted for their faith. And he says, as you handle that differently, As they see you respond graciously, they're going to ask you questions. And when they ask you questions, he says, you, come on, somebody, two words, be ready. You be ready. It's not okay for you to say, well, I'm going through some difficulty. I don't want to talk about it right now. It's not okay for you to say, well, that's not my gifting. I'll I'll set you up, call the office, and you can sit down and talk with Brother Terry. He says, you, child of God, whoever you are, you be prepared and ready to give a defense. That's the word where we get the word apologia in the, in the Greek. It's the word where we get the word apologetics. Now, not the kind of apology that says I'm sorry, but apology in the area of arguments. It means that I'm arguing what I believe. And I'm not talking about antagonistically arguing. I'm talking about arguing from personal experience. Gnosko. Remember that Greek word that says I know him by experience. I walk with him. He walks with me. I talk with him. He talks with me. A long life's narrow way. I hear a song in my head. And, and so, listen, what he's saying to me and you is that how we handle suffering can create questions that we get the privilege to answer. You know how honored I felt to be able to sit at that table and watch him as the guy came up. The guy walks up. Y'all got to hear the end of the story. The guy walks up trying to take our drink orders. In the middle of Chip bowing his head and inviting Jesus to be Lord. And it was the most amazing thing. I'm trying to go like, we got our heads bowed. I'm doing this right here, right? And I think that translates to any language you speak, you know. And, and, and so right there at the table, he, he invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of his life. Not too many years later, he died. And now I can't wait. One of these days I'm going to get to see him again. And we'll both be perfect next time we meet. And so as we think about the context of how this applies to our life, man, how you handle suffering is going to create questions. And they're going to ask you, and and hopefully it's your children and your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they're able to watch you. And they say, now, wait a second. Why did you not cuss that person out? Why did you not? Why do you have time to help people when you're going through? And you're able to say, oh, well, it's because when I was nine years old, the Spirit of God drew my heart, and I... Confessed my sin to a holy God and invited Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to come and be my Savior, knowing that he died and rose again, and, and he's changing me. He's changing me. He helps me to love people and help people even when I'm suffering. And the little person and the child or the neighbor or the coworker, they start taking notes. And, oh, I pray unto God, you and I get those opportunities. Listen, more and more and more, all right? Reading on down, having a good conscience, verse 16. 
Oh, and by the way, notice he says we answer the questions with meekness and fear. That's gently. That's gently. We don't hammer them. Well, you're going to hell if you don't receive. We don't hammer them over the head. Well, you're doing this wrong and that wrong and this wrong and that. No, no. We, we answer with grace and gently, okay? Uh, uh, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, they may be, put, may be ashamed of it. For it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing, there it is, for doing good than for doing, you're going to suffer for both, right? But it's good to suffer for the good, for doing good, for following good, for walking with Jesus. Finally, number five. Can y'all believe we're already there? Have mercy. I feel like we're just getting started. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Write this one down, number five. And this is where really the whole highlight of the thing. Uh, suffering brought us to God. Write that in your notes, if you will. You can talk about how is suffering a, a blessing. It was, in fact, suffering that brought us to God. What you think about that for a minute? That will change your idea of suffering. Because the American way of thinking suffering is horrible. Matter of fact, human way of thinking suffering is bad, bad, bad. What if God changed our perspective on suffering this morning? And we began to think about it was suffering. Without suffering, we wouldn't know God. And if you're here today and you're lost and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, without suffering, you'd never have the chance to do that. Now, you notice that verse number 18 is in a, remember that fancy word pericope is a section of text? Notice that it is the beginning of a whole other section. Do you see that? Anybody else see that? Nod your head if you notice that in your Bible. Okay, you're probably asking yourself, why in the world would he just choose one, one verse out of there and not do the rest? Because you hang on. What I'm going to explain to you tonight from the next part of this section is going to blow your mind. We're going to deal with what, did you, what happened. With, did, did Jesus go to hell when he died and preach to the prisoners? And we're going to address the issue of do you have to be baptized? Because it's going to sound like that. If you read it, do we have to be water baptized to be saved? You ought to find yourself right back in your chair tonight. Because these things impact your eternity. You may not know it. I know you've got really important things to do this evening. But I challenge you to be back in your chair. And I know you say, what about the person who sits in my chair next time? We'll figure it out. Uh, I'm serious. We'll set it up here on the stage. But you need to hear. You need to hear. I've spent about five days uh, submerged in studying this particular text. Uh, one of the most debated uh, throughout all the New Testament. I hope that you'll be here. Okay? We're going to answer some questions. Now, back to verse number 18. All right? So why did you? It's, it's, it, because you'll understand. It stands alone awful in suffering. For, verse 18, for Christ also, help me somebody, Suffered. He wasn't pampered? No. What did he do? He suffered. Christ also, also meaning, also meaning you too. You're going to suffer and accomplish good. Come on, somebody. You're going you're gonna to suffer and accomplish good. What's the good? When you suffer and you walk with Jesus and you're suffering, you're going to create questions, questions that you're going to be able to answer with the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? You see, suffering produces good. We are fortunate when we get to suffer because we get an opportunity to live with Jesus, walk with Jesus, and create questions in the minds of unbelievers. What a fortunate thing for me and you to be a part of the process of somebody's salvation through our suffering. But on the highest note, here's the one who suffered and made possible for all of us to know God. His name is Jesus. And he says, now also, in the same manner of a bad, what appears to be a bad thing, producing a good thing. The suffering of Jesus, it appears to be a bad thing. He's the innocent lamb of God. He's tortured, spit, ridiculed, rejected, nailed to a cross. Seems to be a bad thing. Really produced huh, the greatest thing. Let me read. For Christ also suffered, but his suffering was once for all of sin. That's why it's plural there. The just 
for the unjust. Someone said to me not too long ago, you know, I heard you talk about the fact that our sin is forgiven in Jesus, past, present, and future. And I just can't get along with that. And I just can't, I don't understand how that he could, when I come to him, that my future sin is forgiven. I said, well, my question for you is what I heard Ironside say to a, an individual. I read about Ironside saying to an individual a n- number of years ago, hundreds of years ago. Here's what he said. He asked the question. Here's the question I would pose back to you since you're disagreeing with where I have landed in the text. I'm not mad at you and we're not in an argument, but here's what I would ask you. If you don't believe that your future sin was forgiven, how much of your sin was future when Jesus died for you? You ready for the answer? There used to be a commercial for a detergent. Y'all know what it is? Mama lifts them up with A-L-L. What does it spell? All. All your sin was future. When Jesus walked to the top of that mountain and was crucified on Calvary's hill. And so today, I'm thankful. Listen to what he says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. He's talking about the one who was justified and righteous. The word just and unjust is a court t- courtroom term. It means that the just ones are the ones who are justified in their actions. And the ones who are unjust are not justified in their actions. They've gone against the ruling authority. Y'all with me? And he says there's one in this scenario that was just and right and righteous. And there are others in the scenario that are unjust and unrighteous. He is the scenario that is just you and I are the unjust. We've all broken the commands of God, every single solitary one of us. And the Scripture makes it plain that if we break one letter of the law, we've broken the entirety of it because guilty is guilty in the eyes of God. And because of that, we need a Savior. And God was willing in His wonderful love and grace and mercy for mankind to allow His Son, the only just one who was worthy, to go put in the place. Now listen to what he says, the just, notice the, the, the connecting words, ju- the just for the unjust. You know what that word literally means? In the Greek it means in the place of. It's the, you ever heard, here's a fancy term, substitutionary death. The doctrine of the substitution, what does it mean? It means like your substitute teacher filled in for your teacher when he or she was absent. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who was the substitute lamb who stood in the gap when you and I should have been there. And he died for us. And I want you to know something today, no matter what you've believed about life, nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. The just for the unjust. The just in place of the unjust. Jesus in our place. He died for us. Listen to this. He died instead of us. Wow. You ought to write that somewhere. Let me read on. For Christ also suffered uh, once for sin, the just for the unjust. Why? Why did he do that? Why in heaven's name would the Son of God leave the throne of heaven, come down to earth, and do what he did? Why would somebody who was just and right and righteous suffer the penalty for the ones who were not right and righteous and just? So that, read it, for the purpose of bringing us to God. I want you to imagine today in your mind's eye, if you could, the nail-scarred hand of Jesus reaching down and offering to you a full unconditional pardon, a relationship, not just a gold ticket in your pocket saying, I'm going to heaven instead of hell. But I want you to notice this morning and think about, if you could, in your mind's eye, the nail-scarred hand of Jesus reaching down into your life and saying, if you'll take my hand, I'll rescue you. If you'll take my hand, if you'll put your life in my hand, if you'll trust my leadership, if you'll come to me as one who's in need of rescue, if you'll take my hand, I will then take your hand in return, and I will in the moment usher you into the presence of God the Father. 
And listen to me now, because when you think about being ushered into the presence of God, that's, a, that's something a little bigger than you and I can really imagine in our mind's eye. But just for the sake of today, he's reaching down and he's saying to someone today, I'm offering you, take my hand, take my hand, trust me. Trust what I did for you. Take my hand. Don't, go to, don't just go to church. Don't just pray a simple prayer. Uh, take my hand. Surrender your life. Give it over to me. And I will take you into, he'll bring, I will, listen to this, I'll bring you to God. I, I'm, I'm so thankful. I look at my life, and I have been, here's what I thought about this morning. I was reading it again early this morning, and I got beside myself, y'all. I was like, what are y'all, what's taking so long? When are y'all going to get here? And I was thinking to myself that, that I, I have, it's past tense for me. I've already been brought to God. And I shouldn't be allowed in his presence, and I shouldn't be loved by him, and I shouldn't be an instrument in his hand. But Jesus has taken me by his, with his nail-scarred hand and ushered me into the presence of God as his child. Oh, I wish somebody today would trust in Jesus. Not religion, not in church attendance, not in doing good, but that you today would see Jesus for who he is, the one who came as the substitute, the lamb who died for you, the just for the unjust, so that you could be right with God. Listen to this. He will bring you to right condition with God this very moment. You don't have to do 21 steps to invest you now. You don't have to go make amends for the things you've done. You can't. You can today come to be right with God through Jesus Christ, the Son. I'm trying to end. It's just so hard to end on Verse 18, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He died in the flesh, but the Spirit of God brought him back to life. And so I want you to know today that he stands victorious over death, sin, and the grave. And he listen, he stands with arms wide open and nail-scarred hands extended. And he says to whosoever will, listen to me, don't try not to pack up because you may be distracting a person around you. Everybody look up this way. The most important thing you'll ever hear is that Jesus Christ is reaching down to you and saying, if you will confess me as Lord, if you'll trust me, if you'll put your hope and trust in me, I will save you from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. I'll wipe your sins away, past, present, and future. I'll send my spirit to live inside you, and I'll begin a process of changing you here on the earth little by little by little. I wish somebody today would say yes to Jesus. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Be as still as you can. Please don't go in and out of those back doors and wear those hinges out if you would for just a moment as eternity hangs in the balance. Would you just for a moment be respectable enough about this moment in time that you'd be still and you'd pray. If you know Jesus, you'd pray with all your might. You might even get up out of your chair and come down the altar and just begin to pray for somebody, for somebody to reach out to the nail-scarred hand of Jesus and be saved today because of the cross. I wish we had a brother or sister to just get up out of your chair and come and pray. Just silently pray. Somebody today would give their life to Christ. As those are coming and praying, I want to ask the question of the crowd. Is it you they're praying for? Is it you right now that feels the great draw of God as he's stirring in your heart? He's building. He's all oh, you've been. There's been events that have gotten you here. There's things going on in your life, and God's tendered your heart, and he's gotten you in a situation where he wants you to look up to him, and he says to you, I want to call you child, but I cannot call you child unless you come through Jesus Christ. And if you will. He'll transform you in the chair you're sitting in from his natural-born enemy to his adopted child. Wouldn't you allow him to save you today? 
As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to ask a question of the room. If God's dealing with you about salvation, you're just not sure about it. I'm not going to call you down. Y'all know me well enough by now. I'm not going to come find you. Nobody's looking around. So as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just have a simple question just so I know how to pray. Is there anybody in the house that would say, you know, I believe God's dealing with me about salvation. I'm not certain where I am with that. Maybe he's calling me to a relationship, a real relationship. I'm not certain that I've really given him my life. Would you slip your hand up just now? I see you there. Any others? I see you right there. And over there, I see you there. God bless you. Any others? Just slip your hand up really quickly and right back down. I see you back there. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name for those who right now just unsettled, I pray you'd settle it. You settle it. Bind the enemy. Close the mouth of the adversary. And whisper to precious souls, come home to Jesus. Father, I pray in this moment somebody would invite Jesus to be Lord right where they're seated, right where they're seated. Help them to see it so simple that a child can understand. That because Jesus bled and died and rose again, they can in their chair say, Lord Jesus, come and be Lord of my life. And you promised you'd respond to that by saving them, forgiving their sin, and giving them your Holy Spirit like you've done for me. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask this next question, okay? Just quickly. If you're here today and you've invited Jesus to be Lord, I'm not going to come find you. I'm not going to have another conversation with you about it until you have one with me. But if you're here today and you've invited Jesus Christ to be Lord, you're not ashamed of that. I want you to slip your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I just want you to slip your hand up. I see you right there. I see you right there. And right there. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Oh, I hope right now in your heart you're giving God a hand clap of praise. Right in your heart you're clapping unto God. There were about three that I could see that invited Jesus Christ to be Lord. If you meant it, he saved you, set you free. And now we continue with what we've heard. We are then to go live out our faith in the midst of suffering. May you and I create questions by how we live out our hope in Jesus. And may we give good answers. Father, move now, I pray, in this time of response. Lord, if it be your will, those people that slipped their hand up, if they would come down, God, and just acknowledge with us today, I've made Jesus Lord. I received him as my Savior and Lord. God, you move. Others may need to join the church. Others may need to return to you. God, there may be somebody here that you're calling into ministry. I, I don't know, but Lord, may your spirit move now in a mighty way. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. The people of God said, amen. Let's stand to our feet and lift our voices. You respond how the spirit leads.